0: through Immersed prophets and this week we began on Wednesday to read in the prophecy of Isaiah if you have not yet obtained a copy of Immersed prophets please go to the church website and there you will find a link under events and you can order a copy make sure the people in your family have a copy and that they are reading this is one of the greatest investments spiritually that you can make in yourself and in others this year. This week and next week, we are going to be looking at Isaiah's prophecy. Admittedly, within two weeks, there's a very narrow portion that we can consider. For Isaiah's prophecy is so prolific, it's so expansive. But we are going to endeavor to see two beautiful pictures of Jesus this week and next week. Our study today is entitled, A Root, a Branch, and a Savior for All. Now, we have been looking at two New Testament passages that point us back to this endeavor to know Jesus better through the prophets. First of all, is the words of Jesus himself. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, The prophets and the Psalms. Now Jesus mentioned this on several occasions during his time with his disciples, pointing to the law, pointing to the prophets. Everything that was written looked ahead to Jesus. It was a type. It was a foreshadowing, an anticipation. It was there to say to people, this is Is pointing towards something better and something more complete the Apostle Peter wrote this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you they wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. Now we are reading through Isaiah's prophecy this week and next week. Isaiah so prolifically spoke about the suffering of Christ and his great glory that would follow. Isaiah doesn't confine his prophecy to a certain period of time or even to the the life, the death of Jesus. He goes far beyond that and looks to the very end of time when the greatest glory of Jesus will be revealed. And he will reign on the earth. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Isaiah speaks of something that almost 700 years later, Peter will write about in his second letter. A new heavens and a new earth, in which dwells only righteousness. There is coming a day when God is going to restore everything and make everything right. There will be no sin, there will be no unrighteousness. Those who have trusted in Jesus, those who have faithfully followed Him, will be part of that day. Those who have not and who have lived for themselves will not be part of that glorious future. Isaiah is worth reading and rereading. Today we are going to focus on Isaiah chapter 11. So turn to Isaiah chapter 11, and while you are, I want to share with you a few distinctive notes about Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah's prophecy spanned four Judahite kings, kings of the kingdom of Judah. Now, last week we spoke about the division of the kingdom after Solomon died. It divided itself into two kingdoms. The southern kingdom remained loyal to the line of David and it was known as the kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom retained the title of Israel, the kingdom of Israel. But those kings never followed the ways of God at all. Isaiah's ministry was to the southern kingdom, and it spanned four Judahite kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. It spanned approximately 50 years of ministry. Jewish tradition records that Isaiah's life ended at the hand of Manasseh. Manasseh was Hezekiah's son and successor. Manasseh was a very ungodly king. He was born during the period of time when Hezekiah asked God to extend his life. Hezekiah was a very godly king. But his son Manasseh was the most ungodly king in the kingdom of Judah. He did more to make the people sin than any other king. He led them to the depths of depravity. He sacrificed in fire, alive, Hezekiah's grandson as a human sacrifice to the god Molech. And Manasseh ordered the killing of Isaiah. He ordered him to be put alive into a hollow log and then to be sawn in half the length of that log. Isaiah is quoted more times by New Testament writers than any other Old Testament prophet. You will find direct quotations from Isaiah, and indirect references in every book of the New Testament except for Hebrews. Isaiah is prolific. We said last week that Isaiah has 66 chapters. It represents the 66 books of the Bible. It has two divisions, 1 through 39, just like the Old Testament. And then 40, where the theme and the emphasis changes. And God begins that portion by saying, comfort, comfort now my people. And then we read of a forerunner who is coming for the Messiah, announcing, prepare the way of the Lord. And we find all of this fulfillment when we turn to the New Testament. And we read of John the baptizer, who comes to prepare the way for the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Isaiah's prophecy very much represents the totality of the Bible, the Old Testament, the sinfulness of people, the judgment that is there, that everyone is under, and the salvation that can come alone through God himself, the salvation that has come to us through Jesus Christ. For that reason, the prophecy of Isaiah is sometimes called the fifth gospel because its messianic content and the clarity of its prophecies about Jesus. Let's look at the passage we're studying today in Isaiah chapter 11. Follow as we read. We are going to read through verse 12. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and of understanding, a spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The wolf will lie with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four corners of the earth." Isaiah spoke this prophecy during the reign of King Ahaz. King Ahaz was 11 generations after King David. King Ahaz was not a godly king. He was not a king who trusted the Lord. He was a king that mixed idol worship and reliance upon other nations, along with his worship of god so now it's 11 generations after david god had made a promise to david he said in psalm 39 i will maintain my love to him speaking of david forever and my covenant with him david will never fail i will establish his line forever his throne david's throne as long as the heavens endure. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging. But I will not take my love from him, speaking again of David, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips Have uttered. Last week, we looked at the prophecies of Amos, Hosea, and Micah. Amos and Hosea prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel. It was the kingdom that broke away, it was the king that rejected the descendants of David as their king. Instead, they chose a man by the name of Rehoboam. He was not one with whom God made a covenant. And he was the first in a long line of kings that led Israel further and further away from God. Every single king leading the nation in worshiping the idols of the kingdoms around them. Finally, God had enough. And God judged the nation of Israel, its capital, Samaria. The Assyrians invaded it. They destroyed it. They deported the people. They imported people from other nations. The nation, the kingdom of Israel, was erased. There's an important lesson for us to be learned here. There is no place of blessing unless we are in the place of covenant. Unless we are under the covering of covenant, there is no place of safety for us. For those of us who are new covenant followers of Jesus Christ, the only place of safety and covering for us is to remain in Jesus. You and I go off on our own. We go our own way. We do our own thing. There is no place of safety or blessing remaining for us. The writer to Hebrews was very emphatic about this. There remains no sacrifice for sin if we don't embrace and walk in the work of Jesus Christ for us. God continued to speak to the people of the kingdom of Israel, endeavoring to draw them back to himself. But they wanted nothing to do with God. They wanted nothing to do with repentance. They wanted nothing to do with the law and the word that God has had given them. They are a picture of the eternal destruction that comes upon those who reject Jesus Christ. Again, there is no hope. There is no salvation outside of Jesus they rejected the word of the lord they rejected the prophets that god had sent and as a nation the kingdom of israel utterly perished and was destroyed the kingdom of judah would continue for another 120 years or so and they would continue to go through the process of a good king a bad king a good king a bad king All of their kings were descendants of David. All are included in the words of this covenant that God gave to David. God was maintaining his promise to David that there would be a kingdom and one of David's descendants would reign perpetually upon the throne of that kingdom. Ahaz, as we said, was not a godly king. He did not follow, he did not serve the Lord with all of his heart. And yet he's also embraced in this promise. God promised that he would discipline and and judge those of David's descendants who did not uphold his law and did not serve him with all of his heart. Ahaz will experience the judgment of God. His son, Hezekiah, will be a godly king who turns to the Lord with all of his heart. And under Hezekiah's leadership, worship will be restored. People will again follow the laws of God. They will come to Jerusalem for worship. There will be a great revival that stirs their hearts. And yet Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, will reject everything concerning the truth and the revelation of God and follow the gods of the nations around them. But again, God will keep his covenant. He will keep the promise that he has made. Over the last couple of nights, you and I have been able to look outside and see a a brilliant full moon. In Psalm 89, God goes on to say that he will keep his covenant forever. And the reminder will be, when you see the moon in the sky, faithful witness, my faithful witness, it reminds you that I am a covenant-keeping God. Isaiah's prophecies Are more extensive than anyone else's prophecies out of the 12 prophets isaiah speaks the most and he speaks prolifically he speaks extensively as he looks at salvation his prophecies are what we call soteriological they emphasize the work of salvation and they are eschatological they speak to the end-of-time events that will take place. Looking at both of those, it is through the lens of the Messiah, the Christ. The work of salvation that will come through the Messiah. As you and I read this week in the second half of Isaiah, we are going to hear God saying over and over again, I am the Redeemer, and there is no other. I am the Savior, and there is no other. We're going to read words that, the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2 when he speaks about the death of Jesus Christ. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name. Those words come from Isaiah, the Lord speaking about being the Savior and the only Savior through which anyone in this world can ever experience forgiveness of their sins and escape the destiny of. Of judgment. As we said earlier, Isaiah's prophecy ends in the same place that Peter's second letter and John's revelation, looking toward a new heavens and a new earth. Human history will be over, and only those who have embraced Jesus as their Savior will be part of God's history and God's future. And so again, Isaiah is extensively speaking of salvation and of of end-of-time events, and we see that as we read here in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah speaks to us of a root, and he says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. We have several trees that we've cut down here on the property over the last few years. Where a stump still remains, there are shoots that come up. The tree may have died, but the root is still alive. And so, out of the sides of that stump, there are shoots that are growing. Jesse was the father of King David. And as Isaiah makes this reference here, the stump of Jesse, he is representing the family tree of David. Isaiah said, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. In Isaiah's picture here, all that is left of the family tree of David is a stump. The tree itself has been cut down. In chapter 7, we are told the story of Ahaz receiving word that the kings of Israel and Syria have banded together to invade the kingdom of Judah, to overthrow the kingdom of Ahaz and install their own king. And we read that when Ahaz and the people received word of the impending invasion. He and his people were shaken in fear, like trees of the forest, it says, blowing in the wind. And Isaiah went to him to tell him not to be afraid, but to trust in the Lord. We looked on Thursday evening in our evening prayer time, at the words that Isaiah spoke to him, gave him this promise and then said to him, if you don't believe this promise, there's nothing more that I can do to strengthen your faith. Well, Isaiah spoke these words, but Ahaz did not trust the promise of the Lord. Instead, he allied himself with the idolatrous Assyrians the very ones that God had already said would destroy the kingdom of Israel. And so God declared then in chapter 6 and verse 13 that the seed will be a stump. The family tree of David, those successors of David, that tree would be a stump. You and I learn an important lesson here. Sin will always cut us off from God. It will always cut us off from God. In Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You and I need to learn this lesson. Sin will always cut us off from God. It will always separate us from the life of God. If you and I do not love the Lord with all of our hearts, if we do not constantly seek his presence, those sin desires within us, And this world around us will draw us away from the Lord, will separate us from him. The Apostle Paul spoke to the Colossians and he said, If you continue not moved from the hope that you have embraced in Jesus Christ, may you and I take care that we keep our eyes on Jesus and our hearts set on him and not allow sin to be present in our lives and separate us from the lord isaiah goes on to say a shoot will come up from the stump of jesse from his roots a branch will bear fruit remember that god had promised david that his covenant would never be rescinded despite the sin of his descendants and despite the judgment that they would experience because of their sin, God would still keep his promise. From the root would come a branch, one who would be the fulfillment of the promise God said to David, and I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. This would be the branch. He would be the firstborn of God. He would be the most exalted of the kings of the earth. As we read this passage, Isaiah went on to speak. The branch would be characterized by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. You and I looked again earlier as we began this study at the words of Peter, and he spoke of the spirit of Christ that was speaking to the prophets and causing them to discern the coming Messiah, his sufferings, and his glory. Jesus was born of the Spirit. A sinless conception. That God nature uniting with human nature, the Word became flesh. Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. We read in Matthew and in Luke that he was led by the Spirit after his baptism into the wilderness where he was tested and tempted, where he fasted and prayed. He came out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit, healing, preaching the gospel. He went to Capernaum. He unrolled the scroll and he read from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news, to set at liberty those who are in prison and those who are bound, to give joy, the joy of salvation, in place of mourning and sadness. The writer to Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 that it was through the Spirit that Jesus was able to maintain his righteousness and be able to offer himself as a sinless sacrifice for your sin and my sin. Jesus, depended upon, ministered in, lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so must you and I. We are completely dependent Upon the Spirit. The Apostle Paul said to the church at Galatia, Since then, you have been made alive by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Isaiah tells us that his ministry will be characterized by righteousness. There's more than one aspect to righteousness and justice. But first and foremost, when the prophets speak about righteousness and justice, they are speaking about, in this case here concerning Jesus, the righteousness and the justice that he would administer. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, said that every one of us is a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God. There's none of us who are righteous in the sight of God. But a righteousness from God has appeared through Jesus Christ. And that righteousness atones for our sin and allows us to be made just in the sight of God, justified, righteous, acceptable to him. Jesus came. As the atoning sacrifice for sin, he came to fulfill the justice of God, the demand, the payment of death for sin. And he came to justify those who would put their trust in his work of righteousness. Now, the prophets speak prolifically about justice and righteousness in our relationships with one another and the truth that they present is this what you and i might define as social justice is not the same as biblical justice for only those who are truly right with god can be truly right with others only those who have experienced the justifying work of Jesus Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to make them righteous can truly live in a way that brings the righteousness of God and the justness of God to other people. At the heart of the work of Jesus was this work of justice and righteousness. This ministry of righteousness that would reconcile us to God and make us right with him. Isaiah speaks of a Savior for all. And he said in verse 10, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, And his place of rest will be glorious now do you notice what is taking place here as Isaiah writes he began in verse 1 by speaking of a stump and a branch that would come out of that stump now he speaks of the root of Jesse who is Jesus we've already determined that Jesus is the branch he is that forever successor of David. He is that king that will usher in the forever kingdom, the kingdom of righteousness and the kingdom of justice. We are given a picture of his forever kingdom. There will be no victims and no victimizers. There will be no one taken advantage of, there will be no predators. The ox and the bear will feed together in the forest. The leopard and the goat will lie down together. A child will pick up a snake and not be bitten. God will reverse everything back to creation as he originally made it. All will be right when Jesus Christ comes and sets up his kingdom here on earth. Again, who is this Jesus? Not only is he the branch, but we are told here that he is the root of Jesse. Remember the words of Micah we looked at last week the prophecy of the Messiah that would come. One will come out of you, Bethlehem, whose origins are ancient, a baby who is eternity old. The Word, who is God, made flesh. Jesus did not begin at Bethlehem. He is the God who has been forever. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Isaiah chapter 6, we read of Isaiah's vision of the glory of God and seeing God in all of his holiness and his righteousness. As we studied Wednesday evening in John chapter 12, we came to understand that Isaiah was seeing the glory of Jesus Christ before he was born as a babe in Bethlehem, before the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He is not only the branch that comes out of the stump. He is the root itself. The one who always was. The one who came as our Savior. And the one who will always be. Hallelujah. The Apostle Paul quoted this verse. When he wrote to the church at Rome, And he described the work of salvation as accomplished by Jesus. He said that Christ became a servant of the Jews to fulfill the promises that were made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles might rejoice in his salvation. And then he proceeds to quote multiple times from the Old Testament concerning the salvation that would embrace not just the Jewish nation, but all the world, the Gentiles. And then he quoted, after quoting several other passages from Psalms and Deuteronomy, these words, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. That's Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. Who is the savior of the world? Who is the hope of the Gentiles? It is the one who is the branch. It is the one who is the root. And so these words that Isaiah prophesied more than 600 years before the coming of Jesus are fulfilled when Jesus comes. When he speaks to Nicodemus and said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. When Matthew quotes and says, In his name the nations will put their hope. It is Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The one who will come, who will arise to rule over the nations. The one who will make it possible for people from every tribe and language and nation to stand before the throne and sing, Salvation belongs to our God and unto the Lamb. It is in Jesus that you and I have hope. Well, what do we need to understand as we close our study of this passage today here are just a few simple and elementary thoughts for us to keep in mind first of all god will always fulfill his promises whether they are promises of judgment or promises of salvation and blessing god made a promise to david he kept that promise No matter how unfaithful God's people were, God kept his promise by moving upon the heart of one of David's descendants to return to the Lord. God also kept his promises of judgment. In Isaiah, we read of God's prophecies to the kingdom concerning the Babylonians who would invade and who would bring God's judgment upon Judah because of their transgression because of forsaking the Lord. God kept his promises and God always will fulfill his promises. Secondly, Jesus is God's ultimate promise and blessing. Again, He is God's ultimate promise and blessing. He is characterized in the New Testament as the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field for which we sell everything in order to get Him. And if we have Him, we have everything. Listen, you and I must set our hearts on Jesus and Jesus alone. God has nothing else to give us and nothing better to give us. God's not really interested in giving you stuff and money and material things. He will supply your needs, but those things will draw our hearts away from the Lord. He wants us to have Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, I had every advantage that anyone could ever have. Every door was open to me, and yet when I met Jesus, I realized that everything is worthless compared to him, and so I throw away everything else in order that I may pursue Jesus and I may gain him. What shall it profit a man, Jesus said, if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Jesus is God's everything. Make sure that you are pursuing Him with all of your heart. Jesus is the only source of salvation from sin and judgment. And there is no hope outside of Him. You and I know this if we know anything at all about the Bible, if we've had any time at all in church and hearing the preaching of God's word. And yet you and I often don't live this way as though he is my only source of salvation. But you and I need to recognize that if we allow sin in our lives, it's going to separate us from the love of Christ, from the life of Christ, from the light of Christ. And so you and I need to keep our hearts set on him. If we follow him, we abandon everything. We take up our cross. The life I live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You and I need to set our hearts fully on Jesus. He is the only source of salvation from sin and judgment for this world around us. That's why he called us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's why God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance outside of Jesus. There is no hope. And finally, Jesus is the savior king. As we read the second half of Isaiah later on this week and into next week, we are going to see these themes of savior and king brought to the forefront. We are going to read about the Messiah as king. We are going to see the most descriptive passage in the Bible about his death and the horrors that he would undergo as a sacrifice for our sins. He is the Savior King. All of history points towards him, and all of history will culminate With him. At the end of human history, he is going to overthrow every kingdom, every government here on this earth. He is going to judge everyone. He is going to establish his kingdom. Remember that God made a promise to David a descendant will rule on your throne forever and ever. We read in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, For unto us a son is given, a child is born. The government shall be upon his shoulder. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. Isaiah gives us a picture here of what it will be like when Jesus rules the earth, when he makes everything right that went wrong because of sin, when everything is reconciled and restored to its true state. But the greatest characteristic of all will be that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The glory of God will be revealed All of the righteousness, all of the perfectness, all of the goodness of God will be seen and experienced everywhere throughout the world. There will be no sin. There will be no falsehood. There will be no competition. There will be no hearts against others. People taking advantage of one another. In fact, the word of God tells us that Jesus will rule justly and righteously with a rod of iron. His reign will be absolute. You and I have a wonderful expectation of being with him if we know him as our Lord and our Savior. Again, the Apostle Paul wrote those words to the Romans, and he spoke of the root of Jesse And in him, the Gentiles will put their hope. And then he continued, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that will characterize you as being a true follower of Jesus Christ and of having your heart in the right place will be that you are looking forward To the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You are living for the hope that he alone can give. You are living to share in his destiny. And in his eternity. You aren't living for this world. You aren't living for what it can offer you. You are living. For the coming king. You are living for the savior. You and I need to carefully consider this question. Will our. Will his kingdom include us or will we be excluded? Remember, as Jesus closed his Sermon on the Mount, he spoke of the end of time. Everyone would be gathered before him. He would separate those who had truly followed him from those who claimed to follow him but did not truly follow him. May it be that you have set your heart on Jesus and only Jesus. And that you are following him and serving him with everything that is in you. If so, then his future is your future and you will reign with him forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this wonderful picture of Jesus. We thank you for you speaking to us today and showing us how you are faithful to your promises and the future that you have planned for those who trust in Jesus. And Father, I pray today that every one of our hearts will be moved towards Jesus, There will be no attachment to this life, to self, to this world. I pray that we would remember that this world and everything in it is passing away. But the one who does the will of God will live forever. So speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit. Convict us of any way in which we are following our own plan for the future. We are living For this world, we are living by its values. Convict us and draw us to Jesus. May Jesus be the sole foundation for our lives, the sole purpose for living, the sole desire of our ambitions. May our hearts be set on him and him alone. We thank you again for your word that reveals Jesus. May it continue to speak to us. And may your spirit continue to draw us to our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. (music)